actually went down to Round Rock um, to visit my mom. It was my mom's 60th birthday on, and she's going to hate that I just said that. That's okay. I put it all over Facebook already. So uh, I'll hear about that one later. Uh, but I, we went down to celebrate her birthday, and one of the things that we did um, was sit down with my brother's family, myself, um, my aunt, and some of our family, and prayed before our meal, right? And my sister-in-law looked at my niece and said, Melody, do you, do you want to pray? She goes, no. She looked at Hannah and goes, Hannah, do you want to pray? No. My sister-in-law goes, okay, well, why don't you both just do it together? And so as they got ready to pray, I mean, it was like they had done it 8 million times. They immediately started singing the song that my oldest niece, who's five, had learned in preschool. And I'm not musical, so I'm not going to sing for you today because nobody wants to hear that. But they started singing this prayer to God, and it was a prayer of thanksgiving. It was a prayer thanking God for all the blessings that he's given for us and thanking him for the food and all that. And I, I was sitting there, should have been probably praying and singing along too, but I was sitting there going, man, I forgot how easy this was. And I started asking myself, what happened between five and 29? Because I don't know, uh, I don't know about your adult Sunday school classes, but I know typically with the students we go, hey, who wants to pray for us? And all of them start going, and avoiding every bit of eye contact. But I know also it's kind of this game when we go home of my dad will turn around and look at us and go, oh, well, you're, you're a minister, so you're, you're equipped to pray. You go ahead and pray. And so it's become this thing that it's like we sit down for dinner and I go, I'm not praying. You got it. I volunteer you. I'm on vacation this week. And so I'm wondering what's happened for us between 5 and 29 and when I start thinking about that, when I was looking, uh, when I'm hearing my niece pray, and I started thinking back to my very short years in preschool ministry, because that was not my fit. Uh, I remember sitting there going, yeah, when you asked somebody to pray, all of a sudden, it was like everybody wanted to pray. And not only did everybody want to pray, but they thanked God for the many blessings that he gives us. And I couldn't help but think about a specific chapter um, in the Bible, and it's a chapter for me that I absolutely um, love going back to and have taught on numerous times, and that's John chapter 17. And the reason why I love this is because Jesus gives us an amazing example of how to pray. He gives us an absolutely amazing example of how we should pray. And I think for a lot of us, I don't know about you, but I know for myself, what happened between 5 and 29 was, it was really easy at 5. Life was good until mom or dad did something that made life not as good. But even then, five seconds later, it was like we were off in a different world. And I love my nephew, Silas, and he's one. And it's amazing because we literally go from screaming our head off to laughing like uncontrollably like that. Life is easy at that point. Started getting directions and so I want to John chapter and I want and we're gonna really I want you to specifically think about 
as we go through this, how think back to when you it. Let's go ahead and start just the it says these things and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you since you gave him authority over all flesh so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life that they the only true God you have sent, Jesus Christ. I glorified you on the earth, leading the work you gave me to do. Glorify with that glory I had with you before the world existed. This chapter in particular is 26 verses long. And what's amazing to me out of it is in 26 short verses, there is so much to learn. And so I'm not sure what your Bible says, and if your Bible has the little title at the beginning, but uh, I read from a couple different versions when I'm at home, and every single one of them titled this beginning piece, Jesus Prays for Himself. But if you go back and you look at it, I don't necessarily see that He prays for Himself as much as He prays about Himself. He prays. I can glorify you. He, uh, you know, he doesn't go after things that he wants or, you know, the best car in the world. He doesn't pray for those kinds of things. He prays, glorify me so that I can glorify you. And that's what's interesting to me is I don't know how much you know about the, the book of John, but chapter 17 just so happens to lie right before Jesus is betrayed and arrested, and eventually sent to the cross for you and I. And so it's amazing to me how he sits here, and he knows this is coming, and we're going to see that as we get further into this chapter. He knows what's coming, and what is he doing? He's praying, glorify me so that I can glorify you. He's not saying, okay, you know, give me the Tylenol to help. He's not saying, hey, Fix this situation. Get these guys back. He's not doing anything like that. He literally is focusing on glorifying God in that moment. I don't know that I would have the, uh, the power to do that myself. Just interesting. This is kind of how he, what mind about it is he solid roadmap for a couple things. One of those is for prayer. And so one of the things I want you to understand this morning is in everything... We pray for the glory of God, not for ourselves. We don't pray so that God glorifies us. We don't pray so that God gives us what we want. We pray for the glory of God. As you continue in to, as, well, as you go back into that group, the last part of it also says, uh, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I've glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me with the glory I had for you before the world existed. He knows he's um, to be joining Father. And he makes a clear statement here. I think we know is the true eternal life with God. Here's the deal. 
look in the world is in things going one way to everything right one way is bringing glory to god you want to fix the divisions on our world you want to fix the things that aren't right about our world about us bring glory to god in every single thing that we do and so as we talk about it's a messy world right now it's a crazy world right now what do we need to be doing as christians as people who have chosen to follow god we need to be bringing glory not being the loudest voice not being the person um, is getting our point across but we need to be somebody that is bringing to god and so sometimes i think it's interesting because we go to god with we we need from him in of need him we go to god desire want want you this no i that dead of to be with but cool my big prayer all the time was every thursday night um when i when i got to the high school that i went to um I believe my junior year, they celebrated their 10th year of being open. And I was in band at the time and um, played soccer. And so, so there were a couple different things I had on Friday night. So I had to be present at the football games. And on our 10th year of, uh, as we started the 10th year of our high school, our school had a combined in its entire 10 years, 10 wins. So they were terrible. They were awful at it. And I remember sitting in my bed every single, every single Thursday night. Didn't pray a single night of the week, but every Thursday night I sat in my bed and went, Dear God, just help us win tomorrow. It would be really nice not to, you know, lose every single game this season. It's not that fun to sit there and look at this. Right? I went and prayed to him for that. And it was interesting because I can tell you it didn't really work out that well all the time. Our school did finally turn around, and it was not because of my prayer. Um, but... I went for a need that I wanted. I, I went for a need of what I want instead of a need to be with him. And sometimes I think we get caught up in how we pray and we do that because we end up only going to God, going to God in every single step. But continue on verse six, your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours, you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that, all I, that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, because they are yours. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine and I am glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost, except the son of destruction, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. And this Jesus very clearly says, he knows he's about God. He sees it's coming and how he prays for the disciples. 
he again himself, but he goes me so I glorify you. Starts praying for in his final days and in his final moments, and he is turning around and praying for them. And it's interesting. And I don't know how much you really know, but up to this record, the disciples didn't exactly have the best track record. They were broken people who continuously made bad decisions. They made a lot of good decisions as well, but they're continually making these decisions is they didn't have faults and all that had that he is about to be but what does he do? He prayed care for them. So it's a people, but ultimately one. And how? As one through the And so we are united as one through the glory of God. And that's one of the things for me that just gets me is it's sitting here going, no matter what you think, no matter what you believe, no matter whether I like you, dislike you, whatever, we are united as one through the glory of God. And there's no way around that. And so it's interesting to me. So I come back to that question in the video of what does it mean to love one another, to truly love one another? And they specifically said in that, love means accepting who they are and allowing ourselves to be changed in the process. So let me help you understand this. We are ultimately called to care for others the way that Jesus cared for us. What does that mean? It doesn't mean I'm gonna start loving you once you do what I want. I'm gonna start loving you once you come to my side. I'm gonna start loving you once you see, the thing, see things the way that I see them. It means I love you because God loved you and that's what I'm called to do. No matter what, I love you. No matter what, I care about you. No matter what, I'm here for you. And that's one of those things I remember my parents teaching me as a kid because um, I didn't necessarily understand this a lot. I was always the one of, I'm going to have the last thing to say. I'm going to have uh, the last word. And I remember uh, growing up with my brother. He is a gentle giant. I am not. Uh, I had a tendency to be the more aggressive brother. And I remember... Um, not trying to live in unity with him. I was not necessarily trying to act like I was united as one through the glory of God. One of the things that was interesting that my parents taught that has set in for me over time is this terrible phrase that, kids, you've probably heard this, which is, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. I remember, (laughs) you just rolled your eyes, and I remember doing that every single time. Every single time. My mom would say that, and I'd, (sighs) whatever. But you know, as I look back on it now, again, I sit here and go, what happened between 5 and 29? What happened between 18 and 29? Because I think totally different than I did. But I do, I sit here and I go, you know, it's got a lot of truth to it. In middle school, I tried to make a name for myself of being the big, bad, well, small, bad, uh, don't mess with me kind of kid because I hated my size. I I hated the fact that I was small and people would crack jokes about it and all that stuff. Now, if you crack jokes about my height, I literally look at you and go, I heard that one when I was in third grade. So, um, but uh, one of the things that gets me on this is I remember going in middle school and you messed with me and I was not afraid to start swinging. I was not afraid to come back at you and everything like that. And I remember one day in particular, I had a kid that had been picking on me. Uh, his name was John and John kept picking on me and I had finally had enough of it. I had had enough, the coaches had seen it and they were kind of, getting frustrated with it. And I remember standing there and I remember I had this metal lunchbox and John came up 
John just picked me up and goes, hey, shrimp is here. And I just hauled off and went bang and hit him in the head. And I remember going home that night and being like, you know, the coaches were all kind of like, what happened? And it, but they didn't have anything, and John said nothing. And so, and I remember sitting there while John said nothing, going, please say nothing, please say nothing, please say nothing. But I go home, and I walk in, and I was like, Mom, guess what? I took care of it. I took care of the kid that was bullying me. I hit him. And my mom looked at me and goes, you're grounded. And I was like, hold on a second. What? I stood up for myself. What are you talking about? And it was at that point that I remember my parents continuously telling me, that's not a way to handle this necessarily. Turn around. Forget it. Get rid of it. Who cares? So what? You're small. You're going to be that way your whole life. You better start to get used to it now. Neither one of my, none of my family is tall. We do not have that. Except for my cousin who we don't really know where he came from. He's like six feet, seven feet tall. And it's like, who are you? We get to family functions and it's always that game of pictures of how do we fit him into the picture with the rest of us? Because we're here and he's like up here. And so my mom was like, get over it. Forget it. Who cares about this? None of this matters. And I don't remember at what point, but one day I woke up and a little switch flipped and I stopped caring. But you know, it's one of those things that as I went throughout that, I always thought, have the last word. Make sure that you're the, the, the bigger person. And what I thought I meant by that was make sure you're the person that's taking care of the situation, not make sure you're the person that turns around and says, I don't care, and walks away. You can imagine most of the time my mom was telling me, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all, when I was talking to my brother. And we're still figuring that one out. But, um, but it's just interesting to me as we look at this, you know what, we're not called, as I said, we're not called um, to care for others because they are like us. We're called to care for others because We've chosen to follow Christ, and he loved every single one of us. As he is about to be betrayed, he looks and he goes, protect the disciples. I pray for them, care for them, love them. And I wonder what our world would begin to look like if you and I started to take that model of prayer. If we started to look at things instead uh, and stop looking at what we want and start looking at what he wants. There's still chapter. You should continue on in verse 13. It says, Now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. I've given them your word, and the world hates them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth, and your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And I sanctify myself for them so that they may also be sanctified by truth. Notice again he mentions that he knows he is going home to God. But you also see a specific word. And what's intriguing to me about this, I've read this chapter over and over again. And we talk about how scripture is different every time you read it. And I don't know that I've ever picked up on the specific word sanctify. He says it multiple times. So 
as I needed to, I looked up the specific definition of sanctify to make sure I knew what this meant. And the definition of sanctify means to set apart as holy or to purify, to free from sin. So God says, or Jesus says, I sanctify myself so that they may be. It's him saying, I take their sins and their burdens and I take all of that and I'm taking that on. Sanctify me so that they may be sanctified. And so he ends by saying, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And I sanctify myself for them so that they may also be sanctified by the truth. So literally what he says, one of the words that sticks out to me with that word sanctify is the word set apart. Of that word, of that, only one word, that, set apart, means Jesus set apart, means you apart, different kind of a life to a life we just talked about in this last couple weeks that we were talking about. We're called, we're called to love one another. So this is another acknowledgement. And you, I know, that Jesus is going for the sins of the disciples, but also for the sins of us. And so for each of us in this room, our sins have been taken by him. We choose to accept him and follow him. And so we've got to choose to actually take what we learn. And what's he say about the disciples? He says, send them into the world. So literally Jesus goes, I've taught you. You've been taught the word of God. Now guess what? It's your time to go out. I'm sending you into the world. I'm asking God to send you into the world so that that can continue. And so here's the deal. We must not only be taught the word of God, but we go out and teach others the word of God. I don't know if you're familiar, if you think about it, it reminds me of that real specific verse in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. I love that verse. But you know, one of the things I love about that verse doesn't say go out to Guatemala and make disciples of that nation. It doesn't say go out. It doesn't specify. It says all nations. Literally, Jesus is commissioning his disciples in this, in Matthew, and subsequently commissioning us to go out and preach the word of God. He's commissioning them to go into the world and do what needs to be done. He wants, he wants us to be the taught, and then he wants us to teach others the truth of God. It's a to go throughout. But again, I want to come back to something. How does Jesus pray? He continues to focus on others throughout it. It's a running theme throughout this. You notice when he started, he didn't pray for himself. He prayed about himself. And he so that I may glorify you. And he prays for the disciples. Shifted to just about to do to me. He doesn't. He literally comes back and prays for the disciples. Prays for protection, for love, for care. And that they can go out and do that for others. But then it continues in verse 20. And he says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be with you, Father, in me, and I am in you. In us. May I believe you sent me. I have given the glory given so that they may be one 
we are one. I am in them, and you are made completely one. That the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you. And they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will continue to make it known, so that the love you have loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them. So I know when I read this verse a lot of times, I do sit there the first time, sitting there going, it's a whole lot of I and them, and them and me, and you and me, and I, and it was kind of like, what is this for, and what does this mean? Here's the thing about this. See this as a bit of a unity. He's praying for us to know him. He's praying for us to go out and teach for you and I. So one thing in this, and he asked his disciples, after was with them, he prayed that each of us would know him, that each of us would hear the testimonies of the disciples and that we would unite as one for the glory of God. That we would come together as a body of believers. It doesn't matter what church you go to. It doesn't matter um, what color hair you have. matter of all those trivial things, but that united as one in a very specific way, and that is the glory of God. So I want you to understand something. As a Christ follower, I'm not here to fix the world, but I'm here to fix God. Fix divisions, you bring glory to God. You bring him into the city. Parents were trying to teach me, I just didn't love to listen to it. But we're so hard to fix everything when all him into the situation. Can't talk, I can't tell you how many times I've sat here and tried to uh, deal with something or tried to uh, work myself through a tough time um, or even the good times sometimes only for it to be done in the snap of a finger when I brought God into it. When I was trying to do it on my own, it was difficult. When I was in, it made it a lot easier. And as we get into a life, life easier. How do we bring the glory? It's real easy. We love and we pray. Pray to us. Ultimately, we're called to love unconditionally. And one of my things about this chapter, one of my favorite things about this is, to me, Jesus gives us a really clear roadmap for two things. Jesus gives us a roadmap for prayer and for unity. It's real clear. He gives us a roadmap of how we should pray, but also how we unify and how we come together. He sits about to be betrayed and doesn't pray for the pain to go away, as I said, or for God to step in and change the situation. He prays for everyone else. He comes in here and he spends, you realize it's 26 chapters and he prayed for himself, about himself, for five verses. 
26 chapters, 26 verses. 26 verses, and he spent five of it on himself. And then he spent the remaining time on his disciples and on you and I and on all of this. No greater love than to lay one's life down for a friend. One of the things about that verse that I often don't like is that we, we kind of take it and we shift it. And we say, no greater love than to lay one life down for a friend, to do anything for my friend. When literally that verse means no greater love than to lay one's life down and do be able to do anything so that somebody knows the love of God. And so when we want him, it's real simple, guys. We and we continue to should be glorifying to him. Verse, a couple of verses this morning that are not going to be on the screen, but it's in Colossians chapter 3, um, starting in verse 12, and I love what they say here. And it's just, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body rule your hearts. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And this last one, it gets me every single time. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That one gets me every single time because that's why I struggle with that. Literally everything you do every single day is to bring the glory to God and you are a representation of Christ through everything. So we have to remember in all that we do, in all that we say, for my generation maybe a little bit more so, in all that we post on social media, it's a representation of Christ. And my parents taught me that wonderful lesson and what it was basically was stop and think before you do something because once you say it, once you put it out there, you can't necessarily take it back. You can ask for forgiveness, but it's been put there. And so I stop and think before I post something, how's this going to be received? And is it going to be received with the love of Christ? Is it going to be filled with love or is it filled with love? And is it glorifying to God? And I'm going to be honest with you, if the answer is no to either one of those, there's no point in doing it. In every single thing we say, in every single thing we do, if it is not coming from a place of love, there is no reason to do it. There's no point to it at all. One of the things I thought was interesting as I kind of wrap this up a little bit, a couple weeks ago, uh, I I went to a store and just overheard somebody saying um, that they had had a flat tire and everything and it just happened to have one of those portable car air compressors in my car and I said well if you want to use that I'd love you know go right ahead and so pulled over there and everything and this girl really did not know 
she didn't know what it was. She didn't know how to do it. And I said, can I do that for you? So I'm sitting there and working on her tire and changing her tire. And uh, I was tired and totally making mistakes that I should never make, that I know how to change tire. I'm making mistakes. And I noticed this one car just parked for like five minutes watching me. And I was like, that's kind of strange. Eventually that car drove over to me and that encounter changed the attitude that I had that entire day. This couple gets, drives over, parks next to me. Uh, the wife got out of the car, opened the car door and said, can we help you? And I looked at him and I said, no, I'm good, thank you. And he got out, opened his trunk and I was kind of sitting there going, I think they're gonna help anyways. And he did. I'm sitting there with a tire iron trying to get the, the, the bolts off and it's just not working. And he had a four-way one, which is a lot easier to use. And so he got that out and he handed it to me. I had the bolts off in a matter of seconds, had the tire. And he said, I wish I could do more. I wish I could help you. I wish I could, you know, get down there and do it for you. But I can't because I'm not physically able to do that. But the thing that he kept saying throughout the conversation just really set in with me. And at first it was kind of that. He just keeps saying it. He just keeps saying it. He just keeps saying it. And then I was sitting there thinking about it before I left and I was going, man, he just keeps saying it. And that is that he said, we have had so many people stop and help us. We saw you sitting here struggling and thought, why don't we just go ahead and help them? So he stopped and helped me. And when we got done with everything, he looked at me and he said, all we ask is that you turn around and you pay it forward to somebody else. And then proceeded to, his wife then went, well, I don't know if you have a church home. And I kind of chuckled and went, well, I do. I work at one. And we started talking, but what was amazing to me is that didn't, it wasn't, oh, it was, oh, that's amazing. I'm just so glad that we came across you today and we could stop and help you. What a blessing it was. It's amazing what we can do when we turn around and start watching for opportunities to help somebody else. And so how did Jesus pray? He loved on everybody else and focused on everybody else. I come back and I think about my niece and how we prayed when we were in preschool and I sit there and go, that's what we need in this world a whole lot more. So we need thanking God for the things that he's done and we need focusing on everybody else. That's what always got me about those prayers with preschoolers is yeah, you had every volunteer in the world and every single one of them literally prayed for everything. Man, what happened between now and then? So as I wrap up, I wanna encourage you this week to pray for opportunities to be revealed to you. I want you to pray that you stop and slow down for a little bit and look around you. Because you know what, I think, I think I said this a little bit, but in a different way. What's interesting to me is Jesus ended up spending this chapter praying for himself this much. And then he ended up praying for everybody else this much. And I think so often we pray for ourselves this much and pray for every, or we pray for ourselves this much and we pray for everybody else this much. And that should be reversed. And so as you go about, I encourage you to slow down and look around you and find opportunities to show somebody the love of Christ. Because you know what? You don't know how many people you come in contact with on a daily basis that don't need a lecture, that don't need judgment, that don't need any of that kind of stuff. But all they need 
is somebody to show them the love of Jesus. Let's pray.